Welcome to Not Your Father's Data Center Podcast, brought to you by Compass Data Centers. We build for what's next. Now here's your host, Raymond Hawkins. Thank you for joining us for another edition of Not Your Father's Data Center. I'm your host, Raymond Hawkins, and we are uh, recording in the new year, uh, January 5th, 2021, with Compass's Chief Innovation Officer, Nancy Novak. Thank you for recording with us today, Nancy. My pleasure. This is uh, an exciting topic. I can't wait to get started. So for those of you who don't know, Nancy is our chief innovation officer. She's got uh, an extensive career in the construction business that we talked about in her first episode. And we decided to get uh, pretty specific today around things that she's doing at Compass uh, to help lead us from an innovative and diversity perspective. She can tackle either of those subjects at her pleasure. But Nancy, if, if you would, would you like to lead us off and talk about things that um, from a construction perspective, and from a, a designing and building data center perspective, initiatives you're leading here at Compass around innovation. Sure thing, Raymond. You know, I'm a firm believer that uh, innovation comes in different forms. And if anybody Googles innovation um, processes or innovation tactics, you know, they, they do circle a lot around the people, processes, and systems and or technology type of categories. Um, I, I heavily focus on process especially related to um, construction. And the reason for that is, um, you know, we have a business that's very old, um, as old as the pyramids <laughs> or older. And um, it's been around for a long time and, and innovative technology has disrupted us um, probably, I would say three decades or more ago. Um, however, our efficiency rating and our inclusion and diversity stats have not improved greatly at all. So it made me, think, you know, it really has to be focused on the process and the people um, and then layering on any technology that helps drive the right behavior and um, it helps us streamline our processes. So so those are the three areas I focus on and I focus most heavily on um, the people and the processes parts. Nancy, for those of us who don't have near the construction experience you do, um, can I ask a couple questions around uh, efficiency? Sure. You, you said that uh, I, li I like the reference that this business is as old as the pyramids, right? We've been building things for a long, long time. And you said the efficiency hasn't changed. Could you give us a few minutes of insight on how does that get measured? When you say efficiency, you know, when I think of manufacturing a process, we made a thousand widgets today and we figured out how to make 2000 widgets tomorrow. That one I get. How does efficiency in the construction business get analyzed? What, what are the metrics? What are you measuring? Who's, who's tracking it? How does it get tracked? Can you give us a little bit of understanding of that efficiency hasn't improved? How does, how does it get tracked? I mean, so uh, clearly efficiency has improved since the pyramids. So I don't want to, I don't want anyone having that as a frame of reference, but the, um, in the past 30 years, the efficiency has not greatly improved at all. Got it. Got and it. what I mean by that is it's, um, it's basically, it takes this many hours to install X, Y, or Z or to, you know, um, build something. And it still takes the same amount of hours, 30 years and after technology has disrupted us. And when I say technology, I mean, things like, um, information modeling and you know other things um, that have helped us with the equipment and materials. So some of our supply chain has gotten more efficient because they're in a manufactured environment, but the actual execution on the job sites has not. The same amount of hours are required today that required almost three decades ago to um, in, to erect a building or um, or to put work in place. 
All right. So I, pr- I appreciate the clarification. Yeah, things have gotten better since the pyramids. We're really talking about as technology has transformed the world. So kind of the late 80s on as technology has radically transformed industry after industry. What I think I hear you saying is that although it's helped on the back end as may, as far as delivering products to job sites, it hasn't helped getting that fixture or that implementation or that device or that piece of equipment installed any quicker. The hours on the job site, the man hours on the job site haven't changed to get something installed. Correct. Is that I gotcha. All right. That's and that and to think about that in the terms of how technology has transformed so many industries, to think that it hasn't changed construction in any way is pretty pretty alarming. Um, you mentioned that there, there there are three areas you focused on people, process, and I missed the third one, Nancy. What was the third one? Well it's systems and technology. Gotcha. Okay. Thank you for that. Sorry, I missed it. All right, so job site execution. Um, thing A shows up on a job site and I install it. I'm doing it basically the same way I did it three plus decades ago. That's what we're talking about. Yes, and, and I, would, I want to clarify and say, because a lot of people who listen to this podcast are going to be like, well, wait a minute. We, we do um, offsite componentry. We do prefab. We do other things that help us. And I, and I absolutely agree with that. But it's, it's 100% not normalized in our business. And it's done, you know, kind of on the fringes. And what I'm trying to do and what many people are trying to do is get us to normalize those processes so that we can have a much larger impact on the efficiency for a project. Got it. So we're not saying that prefab and those kinds of things don't exist and that there haven't been things that have changed in the last three decades. What we're saying is that it's not generally accepted globally as the normal standard. It's not the way we do it everywhere. Absolutely. It's not it's not the largest percentage of all by any means of how we um, how, how we implement our work. Got it. Got it. OK, very, very good. So as we think through that efficiency on the job side, as we think about improving people, process and systems, could, do you mind t- talking through one example of those, uh, each, maybe each one of those categories that that um, not only do you that you promote here at Compass, but but are trying to promote through all of your um, work speaking uh around uh, this industry? Absolutely. So like, you know, I'm a people person, thank goodness, because um, I, the, the industry of construction is all about people from all walks of life. So you have everybody from the tradesperson who's installing work up to the engineers and the owners and the architects. My Raymond, my dog is whining right now. It's all right. We can have a recorded dog. It is not a problem. Okay. <laughs> so I'm the only one home. So I we are certain there are dog lovers in our audience. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. So, um, but my, what I wanted to point out is like, you know, all walks of life. So it's like getting ideas from everybody is so important. Part of um, having good innovation is, is seen through different lenses. And that's not just gender-based or ethnicity. It's also, you know, experience-based and, you know, who's, who's got the hands-on experience versus who's got the engineering mindset who, who, and who has the visionary, you know, uh, experience. And in our industry, we have all of them. So I really focus heavily on trying to collaborate amongst all the different layers within our industry, everything from the, you know, the, I, I call it the kind of the cradle to grave approach where you've got, you know, the investment in looking at geographies and businesses and, um, you know, individual needs from our clients all the way through to who's going to be installing the work and then, and who's designed it and things like that. So if we're looking at a, like a, a, Technology like carbon care, the way the way um, Compass, you know, led the charge for data centers and using um, embodied carbon in concrete. 
Um, I, you know, I had to look at this from, you know, how is this going to impact our supply chain for, for ready mix and or precast? And how is this going to affect, you know, the individuals who we buy work from, you know, and how readily available is it? And then what do our clients think about this? You know, what kind of a bigger impact are we going to have here? And our design team, you know, is this going to have a ripple effect through the design team? So looking at this collaboratively, you know, amongst all the different diverse, you know, talent pool that we have is super important for us to really be able to embed a new, a new way of doing business. So that's kind of the people part of it. I mean, we, we try to recruit good talent. We focused on, on behavior-based technology. Um, so te- technology that drives good behavior, not technology that sucks the life out of you. You know, and we look at our culture heavily because our culture matters the most to us here at Compass. Um, so, and I do a lot of mentoring and I, and I, I do a lot of networking and I learn from everybody. So I'm going to go back to people and, and I'm going to ask you to maybe take us one click deeper. So we we did an episode on Carbon Cure uh, with our friends from Carbon Cure uh, you know, earlier in the year. But will you take just one minute and explain to everybody what it is? And, and as you give the example uh, on people, you look at and you go, OK, we're going to change um, the way we do concrete. And I think uh, I got a great lesson from the Carbon Cure guys. There's a difference between concrete and cement. Uh, so I, uh, <laughs> I think a guy, guy said, you know, there goes a cement truck. And he goes, no, no, that's actually a concrete truck. I thought yeah. just, I know that's all inside construction lingo that, that most of us get wrong. But I, I, there is a difference between concrete and cement, two different things, right? Yeah, it's like um, concrete is sugar that goes in the chocolate chip cookie. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, that's that's, just, that's the way my carbon cure friends say. It's Raymond. Concrete's the flour, and 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 the cake is the uh, is the cement. It's the, yeah, is the ready mix. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always thought so. So I know I know I say it wrong, but okay. So so give us one minute on what carbon cure is, and then you talked about how you, you know from a people perspective. Hey, how is this going to affect? The, the, the process of ultimately getting the building set up, whether it's precast or whether it's getting sidewalks p- put in. So will you give us right. one minute on what Carbon Cure is and, and, and how you looked at how it would impact everyone that is around our job? Yes, yes, yes. I Yeah, I actually was just looking at ways. I mean, we cement is a, is a product, a byproduct of ReadyMix that, um, or actually it's not the byproduct, but one of the components of ReadyMix that has a really bad reputation because concrete is so affordable and so easy to um make there's it's it's the largest type of material we use in the construction industry on a global scale so it does have a large carbon footprint so um i was actually walking through an airport one day and saw a diorama about carbon eating concrete and i started investigating it and um, found carbon cure was kind of the head of the game there's there's more than one technology that's trying to suck carbon out of the atmosphere and then inject it into concrete in lieu of other fillers to make the concrete perform better and also to embody the carbon so that we can reduce our carbon footprint. But Carbon Cure was the leader of the pack um, and a lot of the engineers that I've worked with in my career um, highly recommended Carbon Cure like Thornton Tomasetti and, um, uh, and, and you know some of our clients. So when I did the webinar um, just recently with Carbon Care, I had one, it was an all-female panel, which is really cool, but one of the representatives from LinkedIn was on board with me. And what I thought was fascinating about the people aspect of this, Raymond, is we really dove into not just this new technology that can help us reduce our carbon footprint for the largest volume of construction material used globally, 
but also the fact that, you know, when you really start looking at the ways that you can have an impact from the design all the way through the execution, you know, we started talking about why, why don't we use performance specs? Why are we doing things the way we've always done them um, and requiring this many sacks of cement that goes with this many PSI of concrete, you know, design mixes and so on and so forth. And so you start really, you know, canvassing how we've done business before. And this new technology has led us to say, hey, you know, there are better ways for us to, to manage this, this volume of material that we put in place and we can do it more sustainably and we can do it just in a very a smarter and more efficient manner. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And what, what, I, what I love about that, and just for our, our, our folks that aren't construction experts like you, so the number one most widely used and, and biggest component of, of the construction industry, the, the largest piece, is is concrete. I got to get my cement is the cement flour, is the, concrete is, is the yeah. cake. That's right. Okay, <laughs> is concrete. And it's everywhere. And us looking at that huge component of construction and saying, hey, there's a, we could A, make concrete better itself. Because that's one of the things I think that's fascinating about Carbon Cure is it's actually making the concrete um, last longer or be stronger, which is kind of a cool side note when the reality is, is we were trying to figure out, hey, how do I embed carbon in it and, and help uh, take carbon out of the atmosphere? So it's kind of a cool byproduct that it actually improve the performance of the concrete itself. But how do we take this largest building product uh, used today and make it a positive for our environment instead of a negative? Pretty cool yep. thought process and, and love that there are innovative companies out there doing it and love that uh, that you helped Compass get, um, get out in front of changing the way we build our data centers and, and the way we use um, concrete. So cool stuff well and there's so many advantages to concrete i mean this is a, this is why it's such a it's it's, a, it's a affordable it's readily available it's fireproof it's strong um for our for our purposes it gets us dried in faster than any other type of construction um right. you know using a precast structure so there's and there's uh, multitudes of benefits for using concrete and um and there's also technologies that can layer on to carbon cure so carbon cure is one of the things that helps supplement the cement part of it but there's other technologies dealing with aggregate and um, ways that we um, make our mixed designs that, that can layer onto this and make it even, you know, more, more, a more expansive way of not just being more environmentally friendly, but also higher performing. Yeah. All right. So, so that's, a, that's an innovative technology. Do you mind uh, giving us a minute, Nancy, and talking about another innovation, maybe something that's around process, maybe something like a way to the, the fact that Compass, we use prototype buildings or, or, or that we have standard ways of doing things. Could you talk a little bit around process and, and a way, way process can be an innovation? This is one I'm very excited about, so I'm so happy you asked me about it. So we have, there's a couple of things I'm doing that are strictly process related. Um, one of them is um, really streamlining our specifications for our prototypes. Um, and anyone who has ever had to process submittals on a project is going to smile really big when they see this. Because what we've done is we've, by going through and streamlining the specifications, you know, we've eliminated you know, close to 20 of our spec sections and, um, and making it to where there's no conflicts, no duplicity, no, um, you know, no information that is gonna be misunderstood. So we've perfected that. And, but the best part about this is we've, we've taken um, the standardized materials that we know we will be using from job to job to job, and we've created a library of pre-approved submittals. And then we've given we've given layers of the materials that we're going to be using as um, you know partially reviewed or fully reviewed based on whether you have to have field measurements or calculations involved. 
Um, and we've looked at this through a set, a, a set of lenses that is very intense through, you know, liabilities, through legal channels, through uh, quality control, through safety. Um, we've really looked at all, every single aspect of, of every single piece of material or equipment we use on the project. And we put them through those lenses. And what we've found is we can we can eliminate the review and handling of 50% of our submittal items through this process and still cover all of our bases through every set of lenses that we look through, which I think is really exciting because think about a construction project and the schedule involved with it. We are working so hard to pick up an extra few days at the end of every job. We can pick up a few months at the beginning of a job by streamlining this process the way we have. So that is super exciting. And the second one, has to do with um, the assembly approach to installing the work. So not just having componentized things that are offsite or prefabricated onsite or you know in any in any way um, off, what we'd call modularized construction, but the industrialized approach to construction also requires a very stringent way of organizing the work. So what we've developed is a way to look at our data centers and again the prototypes that we have. And, um, and putting them in different zones to where we can dedicate spaces to each one of our trades. So there's, they're not um, you know, conflicting with each other, climbing on top of each other, and it's very orderly. And what every tradesperson wants to know when they get to the job is exactly what they're going to go install that day. And there's nothing more wonderful than a tradesperson who shows up and says, I know exactly what I have to do. I know exactly how much I have to get done. I know how much time I have to, to do it. And everything I need is right here in front of me. Um, it makes for a much, much more efficient job. It makes for a safer job. It, it, and it totally improves the quality of work that we install. So those two innovations are strictly process related. Um, and they do take a lot of thought and a lot of buy-in. But, um, but we're well on our way to revolutionizing how we build data centers through these two processes. So you, you covered a lot there, Nancy. So I'm going to ask a few questions and just help me in the understanding. So submit a library, all kinds of paper. So, so someone who's not in the construction business, this is the paperwork that gets turned in that says, this is how I'm going to compass. You've asked me to build something and this is how I'm going to build it. This is the, this is the detailed specs for how it's going to get done, right? Is that a, is that a layman's way of describing a submittal? Yeah, there are many different, um, what we call submittal types, right? So, and you have, so you have materials, like a piece of drywall. We say we want the drywall to, you know, to meet ASTM standards or whatever in our specifications. And we're going to use that same drywall on every job for the rest of the times that we're building any, and any location in any geography, that drywall is going to be used. So why should we require that the drywall subcontractor package up a submittal that says these are the studs and the drywall and the screws I'll use over and over and over because it has to go from the subtrade right. to the general contractor to the engineer and architect. I mean, we all have to touch it right. and then it gets approved. And so that's a lot of paperwork. <laughs> to repeat that doesn't need to be repeated. Yeah, so instead of each layer looking at, you know, and those are great three examples, sheetrock, the stud, and the screw, we're saying, hey, here's the standard package. We'll give it to you. You can use this over and over and over again in the submittal for sheetrock, studs, and screws. Yes, and we contractually tie them to that. We say this is a fully vetted, approved, stamped submittal for these products that you will be using. And your contract is telling you that this is what you'll be using on our project. So we don't skip over any liability there. You know, obviously, if something goes, um, if it gets to where it's not being manufactured anymore, they're allowed to make substitutions. But it's, it'll be a rare occasion for the types of materials that we've chosen to put in the library. 
Yeah. All right. And then, so, so, so that helps me understand the submittal library piece. Um, you talked about zoning, uh, and then this is specifically on the site with the trades showing up and saying, hey, I know where I've got to be. I know what I've got to do. I know what today's job is. I'm not walking into the trailer and saying, okay, where do you want me today? Is This is uh, not only from an efficiency standpoint, but this seems to me as a layperson to be uh, have a lot to do with safety as well, that uh, we're not having contractors overlapping each other and trades overlapping each other uh, in certain areas or certain spaces. Is, is this not just of an efficiency issue, but also a security or safety issue? It absolutely is a safety issue as well. And, and, and this is one of the things a lot of our clients understand and, um, and people in the industry. To have a very organized, clean, logistically well-planned and thought-out job site is inherently going to make you a lot safer and vice versa, Right. Um, more efficient, more safe, better quality, and all of those things go together. Um, so the safety app component of this is is huge. Um, I, you know, the reason why I thought this was ideal. I mean, I'm so excited about this, Raymond. So the reason why I thought this was ideal is when you look at labor in the construction industry. About I'm going to give or take five percent. About twenty five percent of the labor is is usually in the in the large real estate of commercial projects. So what I mean by that is, it's like in a hospital it would be all the all the patient rooms or in an office, it would be all the office spaces or in a school, it'd be all the classrooms or like in my you know, history in the Pentagon, it would be the large universal space of the Pentagon, right? 5 million square foot, most of it's universal space. And then 75, give or take percentage of the labor is in what we call the back of house. So it's, it's all the mechanics, you know, the equipment rooms, the vertical and horizontal chases, areas where, you know, where it's tight and, and you're having to make the universal space function. Right. More to technical expertise, I would think of from as a layperson's perspective. Yeah. And it's, it's typically it's the MEP trades. It's the mechanical, electrical and plumbing trains, trades who represent not just the largest value on any commercial project, especially um, data centers, but also the, the largest amount of labor on the job site. So here's what got me excited. So at the Pentagon, when we were doing the renovation there, we got down to where we were using this zoned approach. And we we were in the universal spaces. We got down to where the tradespeople were being rewarded for zero punch list. And they achieved it over and over because the expectations were so clear. They were happy every day. They knew what to do. They knew how, to, how, how many hours it would take to get it done. They knew exactly what had to happen because it was repeatable, right? But the sad part was in the back of house where it was more complex, um, we, we struggled and weren't able to do that because of, you know, the geography of where that equipment sat. Now let's go over to the data center and the prototype Compass has. The largest spaces that we have on our site is the equipment yard and the data hall. Perfect for the same zoned approach that we use at the Pentagon and universal spaces. So now we can switch the math and we, we're doing it in the admin areas as well, but the largest hunk of the work where we want to have the biggest impact is where we can use the same approach and get down to a zero punch list, have a safer building and install it more efficiently. So if I'm a customer, if I'm a, a, a large internet-based company or cloud-based company and I'm acquiring data centers, so a customer of people like Compass, the way for them to think about this is, hey, the more organized my partner is, the more thoughtful and, and ahead of the process my partner is, the faster they can deliver, which seems to be everybody's priority. Get it to me faster. Like you said, we're, we're always looking for days at the end of a job site, at the end of a job. And then 
make sure it's safe because those those seem to be the two things we hear the most from our customers is I need it on time or early and I need it to be safe. And Correct. it sounds to me like the things that you're focused on. And, and, and it's it's interesting when I hear the word submittal library, hey, you're going to keep track of the submittals. I don't think safety and I don't think speed. But when you talk about it a little bit, you go, oh, yeah, well, of course, it's going to make it much easier for someone to get through the submittal process which gets us on the job site, which gets us working faster. And then when we get to the job site, the zoned approach allows me to go, hey, I can be safe and also faster. So so ways to be safe and ways to be faster, uh, really, really important to us in this business and to our customers. Well, and yeah, and to tack on to the safety aspect, I mean, it's both speed and safety, right? When you when you sign a contract, you can start supplying materials immediately if the submittals are, are pre-approved. So conduit and things like that that go into the equipment yards cable bus, you know, anything that doesn't require, like I said, calculations, measurements, or, you know, technical review can show up immediately. So that picks you up time on the front end. So you're not scrambling at the back end. And then there's ways of uh, that we have new technologies that I'm investigating right now of tracking our labor. So we can set, we can, we can track them for COVID, you know, distancing, we can track Mm -hmm. them for, um, you know, crew sizes, we can track, you know, uh, for muster points from a safety standpoint, in case there's an emergency. And we can also collect the right, the exact information about the hours that we've worked and then see how to improve you know, as we go forward. Yeah, Nancy, you raised a great point that I didn't even think of. With with having the submittals done quickly, we can start getting materials and, and in a environment in a global pandemic where the supply chain is such a big issue. The earlier we can get materials on site and know that um, there's product there for the trades to install, the better off we are, right? The faster we can go, the more um, product that shows up and is ready to be assembled and installed is uh, part of going fast. Yeah, it's part of going fast and it's part of not having to you know, work overtime or double shifts or weekends when you get to the end of a project um, because construction is complicated and and sometimes hiccups occur even in the best of situations. So, I mean, and we pride ourselves at Compass of not having to work overtime and on weekends. That's one of our, and in my opinion, one of our strongest selling points and one of the safest ways of doing business. Yeah, good stuff. The idea that um, we're trying to make it, I mean, I don't know about you, but I work best between eight and five. I don't, don't typically work really well between midnight and eight. Uh, and, and and that's no different for trades, right? The, we're trying to run single shift job sites and keep them on schedule where everyone can have a, a well-rested, dialed-in workforce. That, that's the idea behind what we're doing, isn't it? Absolutely. All right. Well, we've talked people, we've talked process. Can you give us a minute or two on systems? I know we touched a little bit because we talked about carbon cure, but you know, will you highlight one or other two, one or two other things in the systems world that you'd like to talk about from an innovation perspective? Sure. I mean, and this is some of the stuff is um, you know we're working on that's fu- it's a little bit futuristic, but we're in the middle of looking at technology. That, and I'm not going to give you the actual names of the technology firms because I have quite a few in play right now, but. For sure, like I'm using that, I'm looking at getting better visual tools that can render and schedule demos and use um, both um, virtual reality and augmented reality to show our clients and show our contractors, you know, how we want the work to go into place. So I have some really cool um, products that I'm working on in that in that area. We're working on um, obviously replacing the um, the generation stored energy that we have. Um, to make us more sustainable and more affordable in areas um, that that right now geographically are difficult when when the backup power is all done with gen, you know generators. Mm-hmm. So we have a few really impressive you know types of technology that we're getting into as far as stored energy is concerned. 
Um, we're even investigating things like demand response and microgrids from a consumption standpoint. And then we're looking at doing performance analytics, you know, through a, a custom program that we've developed that we can, where we can look at our assets and we can monitor their performance and then improve on that by looking at predictive analytics. All cool stuff, all things that are coming to uh, our job sites and, and ways to make them run better, run faster, run safer, make us understand them. I, I'm, I'm going to cheat a little because you have an image of, for those of you that are, are not, you know, because you guys are all listening and can't see. I'm, I'm going through a presentation. There's an image of a guy with a, I don't know if this is the right word, Nancy. It's like an exoskeleton, you know, some. That some, is the right word. <laughs> um, can you talk about that? I just think it's fascinating. It's really cool to me. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what that is? I don't. I know it's another. I don't know if you use company names, but I, th I think it's fascinating. The ways to make uh, the workload safer on people's bodies and able to do more work. Can you talk about that just for a minute? This is this technology is near and dear to my heart. So thank you for bringing that up. So this was actually started. It was developed for um, wounded warriors um, and you know being able to let them allow them to do things that they couldn't do when they came back. Um, and they were they were wounded. And um, I love the fact that the construction industry picked up on this um, because I, you know, my husband is a tradesperson. And what we do in the trades is, is physically very demanding. And, and, and to have an exoskeleton, and this is all, this is analog, this type, the one that you're seeing on the, on the screen, it does not have to be digital. To have an exoskeleton that can take the pressure off your joints and allow you to do your work in a safer manner by not having to strain your body is huge. And let's think about the possibility of being able to now bring in more diverse um, work, a trade force, you know, so that women who don't have the brute strength of being able to, you know, lift heavy block and um, pieces of equipment um, can now enter the trade force in a safe manner and, and use their skill set. Um, to be able to contribute uh, a much larger, a much, a much better way than they are currently. Well, that that's one of the, I mean, I, I love the safety aspect and, and the ability to prevent injury, but that was one of the first things that I thought of is, is if we could get really good at these exoskeletons, it could change who physically does the work, right? To be able to have a much more diverse, to, to have women in roles where this, the, the, the exoskeleton helps them lift weights or hold things in place. I just think that's an exciting part of giving us, because I think that having diversity in the workforce gives you perspective and understanding and insights that you never get from having, you know, an, an all male group uh, and the idea to be able to have women uh, serve in those roles and, and offer a unique perspective, I think would be great for the business. We'll see, we'll see innovations we'd never think of as just men doing it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, it, like I said, a whole different set of lenses there, especially in an industry that's so dominated by men. I mean, currently, in the trades, there's only um, about three and a half percent are women, and that's for all trades combined. So it's very, very dismal um, as far as that kind of parity is concerned. But you're right, um, Raymond. I mean, ideas come from all different walks of life, and, and having um, more than half the population get to contribute in a, on a job that's you know exciting, that has good pay, and that's very rewarding, as would be a, a wonderful, wonderful thing for our industry to be able to do. 
Well, Nancy, thank you so much for uh, for joining us for two editions um, and for walking us through innovation and even getting to touch a little bit on uh, uh, diversity and inclusion and, and how important that is in our industry and, and how needed it is to, to think that only 3% of the trades are, are women is just a, an incredible uh, talk about an opportunity when you know we got 47% to where we could go to, to get to equality. There's a lot, lot of room for growth in that space. And we really appreciate not only you innovating for, for Compass and for for our customers, but uh, being a champion for diversity and inclusion is such an important part of our culture and our message, and we're grateful that you spread that message daily. So, Nancy, thank you for joining us, and uh, appreciate you coming on the podcast. My pleasure. Good, good talking with you again, Raymond. <laughs>